This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now, join Ringler Radio host, Larry Cohen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and this edition of Ringler Radio is coming to you from the annual meeting of the American Association for Justice being held this summer right here in Chicago, Illinois. What a great spot for a convention. Remember, you can listen to every Ringler Radio show free from our website, ringlerassociates.com, or on the Legal Talk Network at legaltalknetwork.com. And uh, here's a special note. You can also get CLE credit for listening to Ringler Radio at law.com's CLE Center. And uh, be sure to take advantage of that. Well, today we're going to talk about whistleblowers. Uh, and to help me whistle, I've asked one of our terrific Ringler Associates to help me out, uh, Jim Vellante from our Fort Lauderdale, Florida office. Jim has more than 20 years of claims and structured settlement experience. He's on the board of directors of Ringler. He's also a member of the Florida Medical Malpractice Claims Council and the South Florida Claims Association. Thanks for being here, Jim. Thank you, Larry. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I hope you're ready to pucker up because we're going to talk about whistleblowers today. Yeah, fascinating subject. Looking forward to talking to Brian, and uh, I think everyone will enjoy this. Uh, very interesting subject matter. It's going, to be, it's going to be great. Well, let me introduce our special guest, uh, Attorney Brian Lebovic, managing partner of the private law firm Lebovic & Lebovic Civil Justice Prosecutors. That sounds like a TV show. Yeah, doesn't it sound good? Sounds great. That's great. Well, they have four offices located in Palm Beach uh, County, Florida, in Boynton and West Palm, in Jupiter and Port St. Lucie. And uh, Lebovic and Lebovic is a, basically a plaintiff's firm that handles serious personal injury cases and another very interesting category of cases that brings us to our topic today. And these cases are known as key TAM cases, and they involve whistleblowers who discover wrongdoing against the U.S. government. Now, thanks to Google, I discovered that KETAM is a provision of the Federal Civil False Claims Act that allows a private individual to file a suit in the name of the U.S. government charging fraud by government contractors and other entities who receive use of government funds. That's kind of a, a quick and dirty uh, explanation, but Brian, you're here, you're the expert. Why don't you give us a real super definition of what these KETAM cases are all about? Well, it's interesting. That's why we went with the the term civil justice prosecutors, that's, that's not really a term of art. It's just a description of what we're trying to do at our law firm. And basically what key TAM cases are about is whistleblowing on companies that are ripping off the federal government. It's, you know, the, the insider um, mm-hmm. type stuff. But all of the information that the whistleblower has is about some type of false claim or false statement or false submission that's being made to some federal entity. And that federal entity could be almost any, could be any federal entity that's out there. It could be the, the Department of Labor, the Department of Transportation, uh, the, any armed service, uh, any of the armed services, um, and most importantly, and probably the biggest one, which is Medicare and Medicaid, any yeah. type of health care fraud. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a humongous, humongous area. It's uh, very complex, but uh, it's really interesting. 
It's a, it's a phenomenally interesting area. It sounds it. Brian, uh, let's fast forward today. How does a private citizen file a TTAM lawsuit, and how is it qualified to move forward in the judicial system? It's an interesting question, how to move forward. It's not exactly clear how to move forward depending on which section of the law you're talking about. Um, there's two parts to a KETAM case. The first part of the KETAM case is the fact that a, a human being who has gone to their boss or their their supervisor and said, hey, what we're doing here is wrong. The first thing that happens to that person is, of course, they're discharged and they're kicked out of their job and they need to go and find a job. So there's a discharge case that goes along with that. And those discharge cases are whistleblower cases. The other half is the half where the company's actually ripping off the government. And so they have the right to bring that to the government's attention. So the first thing is that the individual doesn't have the right to bring the lawsuit initially. The, the individual has to basically take a step backwards and say, all right, I have the right to bring my wrongful discharge case under whatever provision there is for that, the whistleblower provision you want to use for that. And there's a ton of them. Even under federal law, there's probably over 30 different statutes that you can use to bring a claim for wrongful discharge as a whistleblower. The other half is what you use the Federal False Claims Act um, to bring the case on behalf of the government. And you don't get to do it originally. You have to create your complaint. You have to gather your evidence. You have to file your evidence with the government. And you have to allow the government an opportunity to review your case and then to go forward on your complaint or to recreate your complaint and file on top of it. But they have the right to go first. If they don't, then you're given the right to go forward. And the government can still intervene later on showing good cause. But right up front, you have to give it to the government and say, you guys can prosecute this. Interesting stuff. You know, before we go on, I just want to make sure our audience uh, gets a good flavor and understanding of what what this term key TAM is. Uh, you should know our audience uh, that key TAM is two words, Q-U-I and then T-A-M. And uh, my understanding, Brian, it comes from the Latin for uh, he who sues the king for the king on behalf of himself or some such yeah, the saying the saying is is uh, starts with Kitam, but it's a long Latin saying, and it basically means that if you sue on behalf of the king, you're suing on behalf of yourself. And the purpose of that, obviously, is that you want a piece of it. You want a piece of that action. If you're going forward and you're suing on behalf of the government, why would you do that unless there's some reward that's given to you for that? And so you're given a percentage of whatever the government gets out of the case. Regardless, the government is the real plaintiff. The government is the real beneficiary, and the taxpayers are the real beneficiary. You're getting back fraudulently taken money, money that's taken from our tax dollars, and putting it back into the public kitty. Mm-hmm. I prefer the Greek term whistleblowers, to be honest. Yes, the uh, the Greek whistleblower <laughs> is probably real easy. But whistleblower is kind of uh, what you would call your action, your whistleblower you know, wrongful discharge action. Mm-hmm. The KETAM action is what I like to refer to for that action against the government. Super. Well, let's uh, talk about an example. Last month, uh, I understand a million-dollar lawsuit was filed against a company that operates nursing homes in the St. Louis area, uh, saying the facilities provided what amounted to worthless health care. And, of course, it was a Medicare, Medicaid fraud type case uh, because these, this facility was building the government for work they really never did. Uh, there was a whistleblower lawsuit. And numerous residents were, uh, you know, had suffered from dehydration, weight loss, and obviously uh, 
there was a ripoff by the nursing facility in terms of how they build the government for Medicaid and Medicare. What do you know about that case? And give us a little bit of uh, information about that. You know, I know a little bit about that case, and I've actually talked to some people that are involved in that case. Um, it's it's a an area, and it's such a simple thing that it's it's uh, as someone who has practiced medical malpractice and nursing home negligence and abuse in the past. It's something where I look back in the last, let's say, eight years, ten years of my career, and I think, how many of these cases have been out there that I just didn't have the whistleblower? I had a resident who's been poorly cared for, but if a nurse would have come forward, how many of those places would have been subject to this type of scrutiny? And none of them, none of them would have held up against this type of scrutiny. Because in this case, what ended up happening is that you had a medical malpractice case or a nursing home negligence case. The nurses were sued as a part of that case. Mm. And they said, wait a minute, we're being sued because we, we've been reporting this terrible care forever. Right. We, we can't be sued for this. And they were sued in malpractice for that. And they turned around and they gathered their documents and said to an attorney, you know what, we need to go forward against this, this place because I'm not going to continue to subject myself to being sued because they refuse to properly staff their center. If they don't staff their center according to Medicare guidelines, but they accept Medicare money, then they're obviously creating a false claim. You know, I just read an article uh, about people getting involved in in, uh, calling people out on a lot of these different issues, whereas in the past it was so difficult. Today, with the Internet and these bloggers and these uh, camera phones and everything else, before you know it, someone That's like right. you... Everybody's a publisher. Everybody's a publisher, and someone like you, as a lawyer, is going to be able to get information you know, sur- surreptitiously almost from people w- within the facilities saying, look what's going on here. And well, that's going to help a lot of you. things happen. I mean, that helps the fact that information is much more free-flowing, helps the fact that we all carry a portable recording device on us right. in the form of a cell phone mm-hmm. that has, you know, you can record people, you can take photographs, you can do, you know, take your internet down and file all your emails on it. I mean, it's an amazing little device that you carry with you. Um, and then sociologically, I think that we've changed uh, in the last couple of years, especially since like 2000, 2002. There was a major act that was passed in 2002, the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. Mm-hmm. And I think that was like a critical mass time period where whistleblowers went from being these crazy people who were telling on their company and were were disloyal, disloyal employees and were viewed kind of suspiciously. Yeah, disgruntled. Disgruntled people to being heroes. I mean, the the people who reported at Enron yes. are heroes. Yes. I, mean, I think that they were, whatever they were, time, life, men, women of the year or something. So there's been a change on how we view whistleblowers, and I think it's a good change yeah. because there's obviously a ton of corporate greed and fraud going on out there. Well, it's interesting. You know, we there used to be a whole uh, way we viewed snitching. You know, snitching was it was a negative thing, and uh, when it when it really helps the, the general public, it's it's you're right. It's gotten a whole new uh, you know patina on it. Absolutely, Brian. We we see. Uh, could you give us some other examples of some tea time cases? I know we see in the news all the time uh, the big biopharmaceutical companies bribing physicians to give false data on products. Um, uh, Pfizer, I know, got a, a major uh, uh, kickback scheme, and Amerigroup, even Chicago, there was a recent large verdict. So some other successful verdicts that you've heard of that you could give uh, our audience. Well, there's there's so many 
cases that if you follow the news at all, you'll see things where cases are settled or there's been fines or anything else. Uh, yesterday, just just yesterday, or what is it, July 13th, that's two days ago now, right? So two days ago, there was a uh, couple of interesting settlements. Uh, Kai, A-K-A-I Security Inc., uh, is a company that supplies security to U.S. Army bases worldwide. I mean, they're they're a security company, and I'm not exactly sure why the Army needs to be protected, but we actually use private contractors to secure Army bases, and uh, they were fined, and they agreed to pay $18 million because they weren't supplying guards properly at Army bases, and a lot of times that's called ghost billing. They'll bill for people on the ground when those people aren't actually there. They'll bill for people that actually don't exist. There's a scheme that goes along with ghost billing that's out there. So there was one case two days ago. That's a procurement-type fraud where they're looking to supply something to the government and the government doesn't get it. Um, Then there was a a pharmaceutical case. Jazz Pharmaceutical is going to pay $20 million same day for mislabeling a narcolepsy product. Um, And they were collecting, obviously, federal funds to deal with that, and they ended up paying $20 million. So just last just last week or two days ago, you had two fairly large KETAM cases come down. And I think they're going to continue. Uh, this this is uh, it's almost like a tsunami, the way these things are starting to get more and more attention. I, it's growing. It's growing fast. And, it, and it's happening, as, as we said, not just in these types of cases, but uh, I think you might have seen where the NCAA has given sanctions to uh, – to the University of Oklahoma because some little blogger said that someone in the in the in the uh, car dealership was giving money to the quarterback or something. So so it, it comes out uh, many 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 more times than ever did before. I was uh, in the car with my children recently and we were driving and I they were talking about putting something on the internet, some silly picture of my niece with her tongue out or something, sticking <laughs> her tongue out of my son or something. And I said, "You people have to recognize that everything that goes out there will come back and haunt you later in yeah, your life. Exactly. Because it's out there, it works doubly effectively, double as effective for large corporations. If it'll work for my kids, imagine what it'll do when you've got 20,000 employees. Exactly. You know you can't, uh, you can't hide emails. Uh, they'll, find, they'll find them uh, where, wherever they are. Well, you know, Brian, we know that people who are uh, whistleblowers, they're a different breed of, breed of cat. I mean, they're very courageous, obviously, and often sacrifice a lot. But, you know... What are they really motivated by? I mean, it's got to be more than money. What, what is it that's motivating most of these whistleblowers? You'd be surprised. Um, there's three things that I've noticed people that call me, what their motivations are. They've got three things in mind. The first one is, you know, the thing that comes to mind is money, that they've heard that they can make a humongous amount of money in a whistleblower case, and they want to, you know, know what their rights are. The other thing is revenge. They've been discharged. They've been poorly treated. They have a supervisor who is a jerk. You know, and they're that's it. They've they're fed up. Um, and the other thing is principle. And uh, they see what's happened. They've tried to correct it. It hurts them to be involved in this, and they want it stopped. The only people that ever make it through the key, the key tam action are the ones on principle, because it's not an easy road. Yeah. So the ones that actually can suffer through it are the only ones that are doing it for some internal drive. That's just they can't live in a system where they see this happening. The ones that are looking for some money, a quick buck, or they're just mad, the the mad, the anger, the revenge, that goes away. Yeah. And when you're being harassed, when you're being 
denigrated by the company that you realize has done something wrong when they're coming after you and they're they're making legal claims against you and they're threatening you and you know you're you just back off. Well, we saw that in the movie The Insider, the tobacco case, it's where that true. where that guy was, uh, you know, harangued. I mean, That's right. It was horrible. He's not the only one. There's been death threats. Uh, there's there's lots of crazy things that happen. You know, Brian, you raise an interesting point. What is there a general per, uh, percentage of recovery that the whistleblower receives? And you mentioned the retaliation aspect of it. I mean, have you had cases and examples of retaliation that would preclude people from going through this? Yeah, there. I have had a case where I've had somebody back out because of very quick happening retaliation where the whistleblower did not want to go forward. Um, and that's that's effective at a lot of levels, and it's kind of on a case-by-case basis depending on what they have on the whistleblower, what their history is like. You know, there's, there's all sorts of things. Um, the, I guess the first part of the question, you were asking what percentage, and, and were you asking money? Yeah, is there a defined percentage generally in the parameters that the, they, they recover? Yeah, there is. There's defined parameters uh, under the Act. There's a little bit of a different definition depending on which Act you go under and what you do, but pre- predominantly it's 10 to 30%, and uh, the average falls in at about 16%. The more you do for the government, the more involved you are, obviously the greater your percentage. Um, you can, you know kick yourself up to a 25 or 30% share by actually being the person that brings the action or doing something exceptional for the government. Um, the more you do, the more you get. How, how does the government treat the, uh, the money that's paid to the, uh, to the individual? Is that ordinary income that comes back to the, the whistleblower that get, where they get that money? It's not compensatory damages of any type. No, it's, it's, no, a, no, it's, no. it's a clearly taxable dollars. Clearly to taxable them. income. But it doesn't mean that it, the money can't come to them in pieces. And we're structured settlement people here, so it's a, it's a, it's in our uh, interest to to try to make sure that uh, people w- that get these kinds of awards don't dissipate them and, and and have them for the long term. And that's what annuities do; they they kind of provide that. Sure. And obviously, it's not a tax free transaction like uh, an injury case, but uh, there are ways that you can uh, you can a- actually have that money come out in pieces so that it right. has the same same sure. look. Absolutely, and. Uh Many times what you're dealing with with a whistleblower is somebody who doesn't have the the sophistication to run a humongous asset base, which they could very one day, you know, end up having. So on day one, they're completely destitute. And five days later, when the check rolls in, they've got $12 million in the bank and they don't know what to do with that. And I just read an article coming up here in the paper about a man who had won the lottery, didn't win a whistleblower, but... You know, it would be like that amount of money, $27 million. He won it nine years ago, and he's destitute today. He just didn't understand that he could actually spend it, you know? Well, we hear those stories every day. Jim and I are in the business that, uh, you know, people that receive awards in, in injury cases or lotteries or, or key TAM, right. you know, the biggest problem they have by getting this windfall of dollars is uh, – they go through it very quickly. They don't. They don't. They don't know how to protect it, and that's what structured settlements do. And I'm glad. I'm glad you feel that way about it. Well, let's take a short break right now, and uh, we'll hear from the folks that make Ringler Radio a reality. We'll have much more from Jim and Brian when we return in just a minute to talk more about whistleblowers. This is Ringler Radio, Internet Radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years, since 1975. Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. 
Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates, placing more than $18 billion in structures over the past 30 years and one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network and become a member. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Did you know Ringler Radio is one of the top three rated shows in iTunes? Thanks to all of our listeners who download all the Ringler Radio shows. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Including Ringler Radio. Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, your host, and uh, along today with our colleague Jim Vellante from Fort Lauderdale's Ringler office. Jim, how you been doing down there? Doing fantastic, Larry. Thank you. I hope it's not too hot. Oh, you know, the usual 100 with 100% humidity. No problem. <laughs> Beautiful. And also Attorney Brian Lebovic from Palm Beach County, Florida. And uh, we've been talking about key TAM lawsuits brought by whistleblowers to expose a company or person defrauding the U.S. government. It's been very interesting. Brian, isn't there a new law out there that allows uh, whistleblowers to report tax cheats? I think that's always been around. Haven't, haven't people been calling up, uh, dropping a dime on the, on the tax cheater they've, they've, they've seen? And they have. What, and what do they get for all that? They have. They kind of revamped it. And they in the Deficit Reduction Act a couple of years ago, they... They revamped it. Uh, the IRS became more interested in uh, using whistleblowers as sources of revenue for the government. They looked at how much money is out there that the IRS is actually collecting on through audits, and uh, they said this isn't really working very well. We're doing these, you know, kind of uh, looking around audits, and we're not getting a lot of money. If we had people whistleblowing, we could focus our energy on people that are actually ripping us off right and let's go after them and, and you know get the money that's owed to the government so there's a a new interest in the irs um and they actually created a division they created a head of a division and they're writing what's called the code of federal regulations now on that so when the cfrs come out there'll be a lot more information about how the government wants to process those cases the the structure of that. You know, it br- this brings up a point, and maybe on the on a more global scale, but especially about the tax ch- cheater area. Uh, it seems to me like it could be a dangerous thing. You could have people out there trying to call on somebody, you know, and as a, more, let's say, the revenge motive. Right. I'm going to call the IRS to tell them about you, and that Absolutely. subjects you to this tremendous scrutiny and expense. Right. How and d- that's that's pretty much why the IRS hasn't done it in the past and hasn't looked at it because. They realize there's a, a huge revenge, easy to you know stick it out there and right. say, "Oh, I believe this guy's cheating the government. I know for sh- for sure." Right. Um, 
there's a threshold. It, it has to be somebody that earns at least 200000 in income now, and you have to at least have a $2 million tax cheat there. So mm-hmm. if you're not in for two mil, then you're not subject to these new you know, rules. Well, that, that helps. And that kind of helps most of us. That you know? helps most of us, but not Jim Vellante, I think. Jim Vellante's oh. in trouble. <laughs> I well, I mean, I heard he works for Ringler, and I hear those guys <laughs> are just doing great. You know, Brian, we've talked about a lot of different areas that are common for key time cases. And, you know, I see more and more on the Internet and the news, environmental cases, customs fraud cases. Could you give us some other cases that might be successful uh, pursuits in the key time law? You know, there, there's, there's almost a, an inexhaustible list of things that could be going on. The government is in our lives in every conceivable way, from the Department of Transportation, every bit of road work, to failing to properly hire or have on staff minorities when you're, you're getting your bid accepted under a minority classification at, at any level, um, Anytime you're giving any type of service to the armed services. So if they need paper clips and you're selling them paper clips and somebody in your accounting department figures out a neat way of, you know, getting the government not to buy them for 0.01 cents a paper clip, but actually 0.1 cents a paper clip, and you're making 10 times your money on that, there's a key TAM case. Um, I guess I guess Halliburton is <laughs> Halliburton is a humongous <laughs> issue right now. Yeah, I can imagine. And the uh, there there is. A lot going on with regard to the war in Iraq and Kitam. I would say that's a very ripe area. Well, let, let me get back to you uh, and your firm. What, what percentage of cases in your firm are these Kitam cases versus the other things you do? When you say my personal or my firm, uh, like you said, we do two things predominantly. We do Kitam work and we do personal injury work. Mm-hmm. Um, my personal caseload is over 80% KETAM. Interesting. I have very few remaining personal injury cases, so it's just all KETAM work at this point for the most part. Um, the rest of my firm does a lot, a lot of, of other personal injury stuff. So I've got you know five associates, and we do a lot of PI. It's, but it sounds fascinating. Your, your, your area, the whistleblowing area, this whole KETAM area, sounds fascinating. It sounds like every day is a different type of case and a different yeah. uh, direction you're going in. Honestly, I really enjoy the personal injury stuff, but I came out of law school and immediately was in the government uh, working for the Justice Department. My wife came out of law school, worked for Janet Reno as a state attorney. Mm -hmm. We both have prosecuted fraud in the past. She came out, and then she worked for the National Council on Compensation Insurance, prosecuting national fraud, uh, ripping off workers' compensation schemes. So she went back into fraud prosecution. And then we came out, started a practice, and we grew personal injury. Um, but we renamed our firm and refocused our firm as civil justice prosecutors because we really enjoyed the fraud prosecution. So we went that's, – that's where it comes from because we want to do fraud prosecution as we did with the government but on the civil side. So we are civil fraud prosecutors. Excellent. Well, you know, before we close out our show today, uh, our audience likes stories. Can you give us another story about a case you've handled that, that's interesting that our audience would be interested in hearing about? I, I, I will. There's, first of all, let me say that the cases go on forever and ever. So we've had cases that are, they, they go on for a long time. This did not go on for very long. Um, and because it didn't go on, I'll tell you the, the quick story. I got a call from a guy. Um, he was an engineer. And he said, uh, I need to tell somebody what's going on with this big firm. And I said, well, what do you guys do? Because you need to know, like, how's it connected? 
what they did is they made big simulation units for the army, predominantly big units that went up in helicopters and they simulated firing the the guns from the helicopters. So they were kind of gigantic uh, video games for army guys to practice on. And he said, we have a team of engineers that work on this and we build a government for our time. So the first day I walked in, they showed me around. We had lunch. It was a very nice time. They, they had very cushy offices. And, you know, the next thing you know, the day goes by. It's eight hours. I haven't done anything. But they stuck a timesheet under my nose and said, here, sign this. You've here eight hours. Next day goes by. You know, I haven't been introduced to anything. He was there for three months. He never did a stitch of work. He signed eight hours a day to the Army, build no work. They had 25 guys doing this. When he said, we need to get something done here, they said, we're being paid to develop right now. Let's take our time. Yeah, don't, don't, don't work too fast. Don't work too fast. Don't, 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 buy, so, don't hurt it for everybody else. Yeah. That's, uh, it was an interesting uh, situation there. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's an amazing field you work in, uh, and I know it's a lot of good work. And I, I also know that uh, there's potential for abuse by people, as we talked about, to, to come in and try to make trouble for others. So... Uh, I hope you can kind of sift through what's good and what's bad. And, uh, make... You sift through a lot of people. I'll be very candid yeah, with you. It's, I'm sure. it's the rare occasion that you have a very good, clear whistleblower key tam action. Well, keep, keep, keep doing it. I'm, I'm sure it's going to help you. all of us. Well, that'll do it for this edition of Ringler Radio. And I'd like to thank uh, Brian Lubavik for being such a great guest today. Brian, uh, if someone wanted to reach you, how would they do that? Uh, they could. My last name is Lubovic, L-A-B-O-V-I-C-K. I like Lubovic. Can you change Lubavik, it? You can, you can go with it. If you're going to call me for a case, you can call <laughs> Lubavik. But you can dial one eight six six Lubovic. You can go to www.lubovic.com. You can go to whistleblowerlawblog.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you can call my office, one eight six six Lubovic. I'm trying to think what else. Uh, Lubovic.com. I think that's probably the easiest way. They can even send you a letter. They could even send me a letter, but I don't think anybody wants to take down 935 Military Trail, Jupiter, Florida, 33458. Boy, hasn't that become passe, huh? Yeah. Letters. I don't even think my kids know how to mail a letter. <laughs> well, also thanks to Jim Villani for being my uh, special co-host here. Uh, Jim, uh, what's, your, what's your contact information for people who want to reach well, you? Well, they can reach us down here. Anything you have in South Florida, we can help you with. We can be reached at 1-800-227-8342. And, of course, go to the... Uh, Ringler webpage, www.ringlerassociates.com, and you can click on any of our offices countrywide. We're proud and happy to help people out. Well, you, I couldn't have said it better myself, Jim. Thank you again for uh, being here. Uh, thanks to our audience for listening. Now everyone go out and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. 